July 2008, Questions and Answers, Part 2, coming up from BibleStudyPodcast.org, starting now. Hello, everybody, and welcome once again to BibleStudyPodcast.org. Today is Saturday, July the 12th of 2008, and I'm your host, Toby Logsdon. And of course, we are now doing two question and answer sessions every month. And normally these would be on the first and second Wednesday of every month. But as you guys would know, uh, most likely, uh, this past Wednesday we did the Humanity of Christ for our series on the essentials. So uh, we've move the the question and answer podcast back to Saturdays. So anyway, welcome to you. I'm glad to have you guys with us today, and I'll be taking your questions and trying to give you guys some reasonable, logical, scripturally based answers as we try to make sense of the world around us together. So anyway, welcome to those of you who are joining us for the first time as well. Well, we had two showings for our house today, and you know, I am just, you know, hoping and praying my heart out that uh, that soon, 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 the Lord will get us to Arkansas where we can plant our church with uh, with Brian and his family out there. They're already out there, but uh, as soon as we get our house sold and everything, we can get out there and uh, get lined up with, with our jobs and everything and hopefully get that church planted as soon as we can. Brian and I are both planning on being uh, bivocational pastors, but I'm reading this book by um, by the pastor who had asked if he could mentor us or if we wanted to be mentored by him. And uh, man, I, I tell you, there are so few people out there whose views I can say that I just perfectly align with. And as I go through this book, I am just I am just floored uh, how similar I am to this uh, to this pastor, and how similar Brian is as well. I mean, Brian and I have have strategized and talked and prayed and you know thought of all these these things that we want our church to be. And honestly, reading through this pastor's book is like reading a manifesto of everything that we have wanted our church in Arkansas to be. So. In the Lord's time, I'm just hoping that uh, come Monday we get the call that we got an offer on the house or or maybe two. Who knows? The Lord can do crazy things, but I am I, I can't wait to see how uh, the Lord pulls this one off, honestly. So anyway, uh, welcome to Christina as well. She's going to be joining us and reading our questions today, and we've got some pretty interesting uh, topics to cover today. Christina, what's our first question? Okay, our first question today comes from Summer. Summer writes, It seems like so many people are on antidepressants these days. I know people who are not Christians and say they need antidepressants to be nice to people. I know depression is real and biblical. Moses got depressed, didn't he? Is there any insight to be gained from the Bible on the topic of whether or not antidepressants are needed or if they are just one more thing to keep people from realizing their need for Christ? I think that antidepressants can help some people, but I feel like a lot of people want to blame their attitudes and issues on a chemical imbalance or mental problem when it is really an issue of sin or a need for God to have control in that area of one's life. I would really like to know God's perspective and not just spout off my own opinion. 
Well, thank you, Summer, for that question. Uh, about Moses, I'm not sure if he got uh, depressed or stressed, or, you know, it was actually probably a combination of both of those. But, uh, you know, first of all, let me start off by saying I'm not sure that uh, this is a question that I'm completely qualified to answer, since I'm not a, a psychiatrist or a physician or, or anything like that. Um, you know, all I all I do is, you know, give my opinions based on what I see in Scripture. So I do think that the Bible has something to say about this issue. But let me preface my answer by saying that I do believe that medication for, uh, for you know, anxiety or for uh, depression is sometimes necessary in cases of chemical imbalances. And I think that is a real thing. I think, uh, you know, you, you can look at uh, you know, scientific evidence and see that that's a real thing. If a person has a sickness or a disorder which can be treated by medicating moderately, I think there's certainly scriptural support for doing so. Uh, for example, when Paul wrote to Timothy, he instructed Timothy to drink some wine for his stomach problems. We don't know exactly what Timothy's stomach problems were, but in that day and age, doctors used what they could to cure and, and to comfort their patients, and wine was commonly used for various physical ailments. So that's what Paul told Timothy to do. And of course, modern science and medicine have confirmed that there are indeed plenty of benefits that wine offers to one's health. So this was well known and well documented in the Roman Empire. Uh, Pliny, for example, he wrote that, quote, unwashed wool supplies very many remedies. It is applied with honey to old sores, wounds it heals if dipped in wine or vinegar, Yolks of eggs are taken for dysentery with the ash of their shells, poppy juice, and wine. It is recommended to bathe the eyes with a decoction of the liver and to apply the marrow to those that are painful or swollen. So, you know, obviously there are a couple references to wine being used for medicinal purposes in the writings of Pliny. So uh, we also know that the Bible teaches in Proverbs chapter 31, verse 6, it says, Give strong drink to him who is perishing, and wine wine to him whose life is bitter. So clearly, wine was used as something of an antidepressant uh, of some sort, uh, if it was prescribed for those whose life was bitter or for those who were perishing. Um, you know, it was used to comfort those who were dying. So that being said, if uh, if any of you have the 2008 World Almanac, you know, you'll find in there uh, that in the year 2005, over 107 million prescriptions were given for antidepressants in the United States alone. Yes, that was 107 million. Uh, man, I, I actually find that number difficult to believe, and I, I don't really believe that that many people actually needed a prescription for antidepressants. You know, I don't know if that was a typo or what. But now, there are some Christians out there who think that if we're strong enough in our faith, that we don't need any medicine. And, you know, that's a little bit too extreme, even for me. You know, I'm all for having faith, but enduring unnecessary suffering doesn't prove that a person has great faith. So, uh, you know, you'll find me somewhere actually in the middle between those who think that we should never take medicine, which, uh, which I don't believe is biblical at all, and uh, and on the other extreme, those who want a prescription just because they don't know how to make it through the day from day to day. So for the person who has a chemical imbalance, for me, it's a no-brainer if it is legitimately a chemical imbalance. You know, they need to do what needs to be done to balance the, the neurotransmitters and uh, be mentally healthy. For the person who's just, you know, maybe antisocial and so they can't stand to be around people, which causes them to feel like they need antidepressants, uh, but they don't actually have a physical problem 
problem, which is how I would uh, classify many chemical imbalances. I would uh, classify chemical imbalances as a physical problem. But for those who don't have that physical problem, I would recommend trying to work with a behavior modification specialist because a lot of problems pertaining to anxiety in particular can be overcome through some pretty basic behavior modification. And yes, you know, that was my emphasis for undergraduate study. So, you know, maybe I'm a little bit biased, but, uh, you know, it takes more of a personal commitment to uh, to commit to doing the behavior modification than it does to take a pill. But this way, you know, by doing the behavior modification, you're not completely dependent on a chemical for the rest of your life when you really don't uh, you don't really need to be, and you really don't want to be dependent on a chemical for the rest of your life. The scriptures say that we can do anything through Christ who strengthens us. And for the person who feels sad, blue, or uh, you know, or anxious but doesn't have a chemical imbalance, I would say. Uh, that getting over the sad, blue, or anxious feelings is something that Christ can certainly strengthen and enable you to do. And there are some behavior modification specialists out there who can help you to do that as well. And one final note, you know, if if somebody is unsure, if you're unsure about whether it's a neurological uh, or a psychological problem, that is, if it's a chemical imbalance or if it's just, you know, some some general anxiety that you're facing, make sure you talk to your pastor and, try, you know, try asking him about finding a reputable uh, licensed Christian counselor in your area who can uh, help you in that area. So anyway, hopefully that gives you guys something to think about and maybe a Christian perspective of uh, of medication. But anyway, thank you so much for that question, Summer. That's, a, that's definitely a question unlike any other we've ever received on here. So thank you, Summer. God bless you. Christina, what do we have for our next question? Okay, our next question comes from Alex. Alex writes, I was wondering about magic in the Bible. Like, is magic real? And if so, are we as Christians allowed or permitted to use the magic? Or is that a sin? I know this is kind of a weird question, but it has constantly been replaying in my head for days. Thanks for all of your help. Well, that's a good question, Alex, and I definitely appreciate you sending that one in. Uh, You guys remember in our last question and answer lesson, somebody asked about life on other planets, and I said, you know, I had an interest in it because, uh, you know, I've, I've actually, you know, possibly seen a UFO. Well, this is another uh, area where I actually have a great amount of interest in personally, although it depends on what type of magic you're actually talking about. You know, there are... um there are two types of magic, basically. There's sleight of hand or optical illusions or uh, trick magic, you know, guys like Chris Angel or, or David Blaine, uh, you know, in which there is some secret that the person or the entertainer doing the magic knows, but the audience doesn't. And, you know, if, if they knew what the uh, the magician was doing, they'd be able to do it just as easily. But then there's also magic, uh, sometimes spelled with a K at the end, which involves casting spells and calling on spirits as the Wiccans in particular, and various other occult groups do. So let me deal with that first, actually. Um, Anything involving casting spells, if that's the type of magic that you're talking about, uh, casting spells, calling on spirits of dead people or demons or goddesses or what have you, all of those things are strictly forbidden in Scripture. In fact, we never find mention of illusionists or stage magicians in Scripture at all. The sorcerers and magicians in Scripture were trying to find their power, or they were finding their power, in uh, demonic forces. And this is called sorcery. 
uh, and because it involves calling upon demonic entities, it's something for Christians to absolutely steer as far away from as you possibly can. You know, this would include things like uh, tarot cards, Ouija boards, or Ouija boards, depending on how you pronounce it, um, and any device or so-called game which calls upon spirits to do something or to empower you uh, in some way. So yes, if you ask me, uh, actually Parker Brothers is mass marketing Satanism and demonism in their Ouija game. But, uh, you know, now some people will say, well, look at David Blaine. You know, nobody can do the things that he does without using the power of demons. Well, you know, I, I have to admit that at one time I actually wondered the same thing because that guy, he's just kind of spooky just the way he looks. He's just kind of freaky. But uh, until I actually started finding out that his tricks were for sale on eBay, you know, I actually wondered how he was doing his stuff. But, you know, it's just optical illusions. It's sleight of hand and, and that type of uh, of magic. So yes, I actually learned how to do that arm twist thing that he does, and I can do it pretty convincingly, as long as I'm wearing a long sleeve shirt. I also know how to do uh, the trick where he pulls an empty soda can out of the garbage, you know, waves his hand around it and, and opens it, and voila, you know, this empty uh, soda can that was crumpled up is now, you know, expanded into this brand new can of soda. I know how to do that. Uh, the trick where he bites the edge of a quarter off and then blows quickly, you know, when the, the quarter gets restored in his fingers. Yeah, I can do that one too. I can do a lot of his tricks, actually. Uh, you know, things like these are, um, you know, they're, they're optical illusions, and that's all they are. Most of these types of performers, you know, they're just entertaining to watch, and it's fun to have our minds, you know, kind of boggled by this type of magic, you know, where something appears to be breaking the, the laws of nature or the laws of physics. So as long as the magician or the performer isn't in the occult and isn't promoting any type of non-Christian or anti-Christian philosophy, uh, I, I think it's okay. Uh, but, you know, guys like Chris Angel, for example, you know, while he freely admits that he's just an illusionist, he is totally new age with his philosophy. And if you watch his show, he's constantly teaching and expounding on some very unchristian views of God and of people. So uh, he's one I'd say stay away from because some of his philosophy is just, it's, it's very new age. On the other hand, however, I know that there are a lot of Christian magicians out there who use optical illusions or tricks in their evangelistic techniques. Uh, in fact, I have a set of trick handcuffs that would fool anyone because they just look absolutely real and, you know, which a person can't be freed from unless they know the trick. And, you know, someday I plan on using them as a sermon illustration for the way a person is in bondage to sin someday. And, uh, you know, now that I've told you guys that there are a trick pair of handcuffs, I may as well just throw that idea out the window. But uh, but hopefully that answers your question, Alex. Uh, again, it depends on what type of magic you're talking about. If it involves anything with uh, demonic forces or uh, spirit, you know, anything spiritual, I'd say stay away from it. But uh, if it's just a sleight of hand, you know, uh, you know, try to use it to, to evangelize, you know? One thing that you have to do when you evangelize is get somebody's attention, and if you can do a sleight-of-hand thing and work that into your presentation for the gospel somehow, you know, that's one way of doing it. But, uh, you know, I think optical illusions are fine, as long as the person that's doing them isn't using those uh, optical illusions to lead people away from the truth of Christianity, whether it's deliberate or intentional or not, so... Anyway, I hope that answers your question, Alex. Uh, as always, you know, you can email me for clarification at cleanslate.ministries at hotmail.com. And that's another topic that we haven't covered on here before. So that's why I like the Q&A lessons. Anyway, Christina, what's our last question for today? 
Okay, our last question today comes from Robin. Robin writes, In my household, actually my entire mother's side of the family, I'm the only Christian. Now in the Bible it says to honor your mother and father. Now if I were to honor my mother, I would stop going to church and put away my Bible. But then today in church we read from Matthew chapter 10, verses 24 through 39. I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother. And whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Now this makes me confused. Should I be listening to my mother and staying away from church, or loving God and doing his bidding before my mother's? Well, that's a good question, Robin. Thank you for sending that in. Uh, That definitely appears to be a sticky situation, I realize. It appears to be something of a catch-22. But this question can really be answered by simply asking yourself just a a couple pretty simple questions. First of all, uh, under whose law are you to honor your mother? Well, you know, the the answer to that obviously is uh, under God's law. What did Jesus say was the first and greatest commandment? Well, the answer to that obviously is it was to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your mind, all of your soul, and all of your strength. So if we're to keep God's law and following the command to honor your mother, we cannot then dismiss God's law when it comes to honoring and serving God. You know, we don't get to pick and choose which commands we'll follow and which ones we won't. And honoring our parents is no small thing in God's eyes. As we know, it's uh, it's important enough that it was included in the Ten Commandments that God gave Moses on Mount Sinai. And we, we also find it mentioned in the New Testament as well. Paul wrote, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your mother and father, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may be well with you, and that you may live long on the earth. That's Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 3. So that's that's something to keep in consideration. Uh, we also need to be asking ourselves what it means to honor our mother and father. What does it mean to honor? Uh, does it mean that we're always obedient to them? I would say absolutely not. You know, if my parents are bank robbers and they tell me to join them, I'm not really honoring them by joining them, by, by uh, being obedient to what they tell me to do. Not in the way that the Bible speaks of honoring our parents anyway. So then the term honor is uh, it's not necessarily synonymous with obedience, and I don't want you to make that confusion. Uh, rather, honor has to do with respect in a way that brings glory to our parents. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, Paul tells his readers, whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. So, uh, you know, I I think it's safe to say that we should strive to bring honor to our parents kind of in the same way, in a lesser sense, but in the same way, you know, by our thoughts, by our words, by our actions. Are we disrespecting them or uh, are we talking bad about them, you know, when we're talking with our friends? You know, that's the type of thing that's not honoring to our parents. But what it all boils down to is this. God's law is the highest law, and it's his law under which children are told or are commanded to obey their parents. So for someone to say that they're honoring their parents by forsaking God is a case of the parents trying to have their cake and eat it too. You know, if uh, if we forsake the word of God, uh, parents have no right to insist on being honored because it's found in the same book. But if a parent appeals to the law of God, they have to accept that the greatest command is to love and honor God. And any other law or command in the Bible uh, will follow after that. 
But uh, that's a great question, Robin, and I hope that clears it up for you. If it doesn't, you know, of course, feel free to email me at cleanslate.ministries at hotmail.com. And thank you for sending that in. God bless you, Robin. Thank you. And uh, speaking of my email address, cleanslate.ministries at hotmail.com, just so you guys all know, I am now on both Facebook and MySpace. So if you go to, uh, to look for me on either Facebook or MySpace, you can search for me with that email address address and then you can add me as a friend and you know as I'm uh, as I'm selling my house and, and everything I kind of try to update my status and, and those types of things so you guys can be praying along with me when we're going to be having a showing so uh, I would consider it a blessing for any of you guys to send me a request to add me to your networks but anyway God bless you guys thank you so much for listening today of course you know you can send your questions on in I got a ton of questions in the past month and I don't even think I, it's possible to answer all of them but you know if there's ever a month where we don't get a bunch of questions sent in i'll go back to the questions that i received in the past month and we can uh, we can answer those but anyway god bless you guys i'll see you next time on biblestudypodcast.org keep growing closer to jesus This lesson has been brought to you by BibleStudyPodcasts.org, a paraministry of Clean Slate Evangelical Ministries, which is a nonprofit listener-supported ministry based in Monroe, North Carolina. While our desire is that your primary giving be done with your local church, if the Lord is leading you to support our ministry, we do depend on your support to keep our ministry going and growing. If you feel the Lord calling you to support our ministry, you can go to BibleStudyPodcasts.org and click on support on the right hand side you can make a tax deductible donation from there by doing so you'll be helping us to reach multitudes of people each and every month from around the world who just like yourself desire to find answers and meaning in scripture we thank you for listening today and we pray that the lord blesses you and draws you closer to him keep growing closer to jesus